Man, that was awesome. Thanks, guys. You did a great job leading us in worship. Great job, AJ. Good job, man. Yes! All right. Awesome. Well, this is a, wouldn't be a Missio Day event if we didn't have a ton of kids up doing some, a bunch of stuff. And I just love the uh, enthusiasm and joy that they bring to any event we have here at a, as a church. Um, and especially around this time of year with Christmas, the, the, the joy that kids bring with them is just uh, palpable, if, if that's the, the word I'm looking for there. And just as, as adults, I think sometimes we, we trick ourselves into thinking that the, the joy of Christmas is something that's only for children. You know, because when, when I was a kid, I remember my parents uh, had a rule that we couldn't get up at 4 a.m. anymore. We had to sleep until 5 a.m. before we could go downstairs. So if your kids are looking for a time, I think 4 is the right time. So kids, if your parents are okay with that, you should totally go downstairs and open your presents at 4. Uh, but but that, that mindset of like, I'm so excited for Christmas, I can't stand it. And you're lying awake in bed for hours trying to fall asleep so they can be Christmas already. And, and that joy and anticipation is such a, a key part of the, the reason why kids love Christmas so much. They have this hope that there's something better coming tomorrow. And that, that forward-looking hope that there's something better coming tomorrow is something that as adults, we, we, we tend to think that we've lost that. You know, that, that's why like, when our kids get up at four, we get angry at them because we're like, my sleep is way more important than this, this holiday season we're trying to celebrate. But, but I think the reality is, is we have that same kind of longing and anticipation that the kids do. It's just that it's been war, um, morphed and it's twisted in a, dir- a direction other than the innocence that children have. And so, so we, we, get, uh, we long for things and we anticipate the arrival of things that are, are bigger, like new cars and a promotion and a better house or a, a spouse or children. We, we have all these other big ticket items that we put our hope in and our anticipation. But the reality is, is those things, those things that we're longing for are just numbing our soul to what our biggest desire really is. And so it's that innocence of a child's longing and innocence of the child's anticipation of Christmas that actually awakens our hearts to what, how we should be viewing Christmas as well. I mean, you've been to church before. You know the punchline of this is that we should be anticipating Jesus coming just as much as a kid anticipates Christmas morning. But I think a deeper issue for us is the way that our heart has become callous and cold to the fact that, that we desperately long for God to be with us. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, and he calls it a a, a story we were born remembering. And so that when you have these feelings of longing and anticipation where you're not sure what to put them towards, what that is is that God has placed within each of us this desire for something bigger than us. That's that's why the, the magic of Christmas is so enticing, but at the same time, Christmas is so exhausting. You know, we are, we are running ourselves ragged, going after all of these things, thinking that if we just create this magical Christmas, that we'll have all the joy and all the longings that we have fulfilled. But what the Bible tells us is that those longings, the reason we have those desires, is we were created for intimacy with God. We were created to know him in a deep and personal way. And so our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, in the garden, it says that, that, that God himself would walk among the garden in the cool of the day. And so so Adam and Eve, as members of of this Garden of Eden, they could enjoy the presence of God. They could enjoy intimacy, relational intimacy with him. They had nothing to hide. They had no one to impress. And then once they rebelled from God, if you look at Genesis 3, once they, they fell for the temptation, the lies of the serpent, all of that intimacy and relationship with God has then gone astray. And we, we no longer have that relational union that we're longing for. And so, so that, that hole in our heart, that desires that we all have for something bigger than us, okay, it's that desire for, for beauty to may, be made known, not just in our surroundings, but in the depths of our souls. That's what 
We're all ultimately longing for. And that's what the, the kids, when they celebrate Christmas and they look forward with anticipation, they're reminding us of how we all should long for that intimacy where we can say that God is with us. Just like God was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we, we long for that intimacy with God, saying that God could be with us. And so these last few weeks as a church, we've been and, uh, leading up to Christmas by looking at this theme of, of God with us. And the first place we looked was Matthew chapter 1 where it talks about the angel coming to visit Joseph, and it says, But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we saw that those two names of the Messiah, Jesus, which in Hebrew is, is Yeshua, and it means Yahweh saves. It's the idea that, that God himself will save his people from their sins. And the other name, Emmanuel, God with us. Those two things, our, our biggest need is to have our sin uh, paid for. Okay, our sin is what separates us from God. And our deepest longing is for that intimacy with God himself. When there's this promise of God with us, we can have that relational intimacy with him that we are longing for. And, that, and that's the miracle of Christmas, is that God himself took the first step. There, there's no religious requirement if you have to do a certain amount of things in order for God to come near. The beauty of Christmas is God initiated the relationship. Okay, while Israel was trapped in sin, while all of us were trapped in sin, God himself took that first step. He sent Jesus to be the Emmanuel, God with us. Um, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, says it this way. He says, the founders of every major religion said, I will show you how to find God. But Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. It, that's the beauty of the gospel is you don't have to run yourself ragged trying to earn God's approval or trying to earn his affection. Rather, God himself initiates. The beauty of God with us is that Emmanuel has come. God is with us. He took the first step. Another gospel writer, um, John, writes it this way. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that, that word logos is what the, the Greek word for word means. And it means that, that Jesus himself was God fully embodied. He had all the power of divinity. He was eternally existent. He, he created the universe by the words of his mouth. He was completely, fully, and entirely God. But, but again, the beauty of Christmas is that God took that step and he became flesh. Jesus, God Almighty, took on a human body with all the humanity and frailty that that entitles him to. He became weak so that we could become strong. God with us is that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. He lived among us. It says that word dwelt actually means set up his tent. Just like in the Old Testament, how God would set up his tent in the middle of his people. Jesus took on flesh and the tent of his body was his presence among his people. And, he, and it says he was full of grace and truth. The grace and truth. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. The fact that God just chooses to put his blessing on us because of nothing we could do to earn it, but only because of his unmerited favor. And at the same time, it's reality. It's genuine. It's true. It's not some made-up fairy tale that makes kids excited around Christmas. It's the, it's the definition of truth that we've all been longing for. And, and, and so here, here's the pivot point for the point of the whole Christmas story, is that God with us is this beautiful idea that God came down to, to be with humanity. But the pivot is, if you put your faith in him, it's not just God with us, it's God with me. It's God with you. If you have put your trust in him, you have that relationship. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, actually dwells 
in us. First John, the two verses before this says that, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have put your faith in him, you're, you're no longer an orphan longing for relationship. You're an adopted son or daughter of God. You are his child, and that carries with it all the benefits that any child has. If you put your trust in him, you have the full privileges of sonship and daughtership with him. So, so we say a lot around here that we are saved by grace through faith. It's one of these hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation. And, and like I said a second ago, grace is the unmerited favor of God. But faith then is what connects us to that grace. Okay, faith is resting in, not working for the favor of God. Okay, faith is resting in, not working for the grace of God. And that's the thing that makes Christianity different than any other religion or any other worldview or, or even many of us in this room, our understanding of what Christianity is. Okay, a lot of us think that if we just try really hard, then our life will go well and God will love us. But what this passage is saying is God's love for you is not contingent on you trying harder. God's love for you is based on the fact that you have put your faith in him and he has adopted you as his child. And he loves you like any good parent loves his or her child. And that means that, that God, God is with us and God is with me. It's the personal connection that we have with that. And, and if we know that God is with us, if that sentence, God with us, is true for you personally, then that compels us to go serve him with our lives. Instead of longing for some uh, purpose, looking for some reason why we exist, we know that if God is inside of us, his spirit dwells in us, then we are empowered by his spirit to go do his will. Matthew 28 says it this way. This is the very last words of Jesus, the end of the gospel of Matthew. It says, Jesus came and said to him, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so the, the author of Matthew bookends his gospel by saying, God with us in chapter 1. And then he ends in chapter 28 by saying, God will be with us till the end of time. To the very end of the universe, till the end of time, God will always be with us. But, but here's the neat part about this. Is if it says he'll be with us till the end of the age, what Jesus is telling us is that at one point, time will in fact end. There will be an end to this story as we know it and that Jesus will come back and he will set up his kingdom and that will be the end of every problem that the universe currently knows. If you flip ahead to Revelation chapter 21, this is the, the apostle John, his vision of the end of the world and what he sees is, is uh, fascinating here. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So, so all the entire earth has been remade and anything that's wrong, any failure, any imperfection in the world has gone away and it's now completely new and perfect. When, when it says the sea is no more, he, he's not saying that there's no more fishing in heaven. A lot of guys here are like, I probably wouldn't go to heaven if there's no fishing in heaven, right? A lot of ladies are like, that sounds like heaven to me right now if my husband would never go fishing again. But what he's saying is like the sea being no more, in the Israelite understanding, the ocean is where all of their enemies came from. The Philistines, and even in the book of Revelation, the beast that comes out of the sea is the embodiment of Satan. And so when he says the sea is no more, he's saying there's no more danger or threat to any of us. It be, because that is gone, there, there's no more, it is, there's no evil to cause pain or anything in the world. Instead, he continues, um, And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's that picture of the intimacy and deep relationship that we're all longing for. And we can have it with God as we are his bride. 
It says, um, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with man. We've been looking at this theme of God with us. And what John is telling us here is that this theme of God with us is not just true in the person of Jesus on Christmas. Christmas is not something that happened 2,000 years ago and then when Jesus left, God has now abandoned us. And we see in the, the end of Matthew that Jesus is promising to be with us always. And then we see here in Revelation that God with us is the eternal state that we are all destined for. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you get to experience the beauty of God making his dwelling place with man for the rest of eternity. Okay, and what this place looks like, John goes on to say, he says, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more cancer, there's no more broken relationships, there's no more uh, family tension, there's no more uh, crying babies when, you're, when I'm, you're trying to communicate something in front of people, but like every other thing we do at church. There's, there's nothing anywhere except the beauty and perfection of that intimacy with God, of being with him forever. God has made his dwelling place with mankind forever. And then it says, and, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That, that is such a beautiful promise from Scripture. Jesus will one day make all things new. All of that stuff we just mentioned will be no more. It will be completely remade into the perfect creation that God had originally designed for us. And he ends by saying, um, Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And when he says these words are trustworthy and true, he's saying the word of God is trustworthy and true. And if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, where we started tonight saying that the reason we all have this longing for intimacy that we can't experience is because we were severed from relationship with God. And the temptation that Eve and Adam and Eve fell into was doubting whether the word of God was true. So doubting the truth of God's word is what led to the, the, all the mess that we have seen in human history. But at the end of time, we can rest assured in this fact that the words of God are true. If you have put your faith in him, that, that longings of your heart, the anticipation that you have, the restlessness that your soul feels, thinking that there has to be something better out there, all of those desires will be culminated and fulfilled if we trust the words of God that one day this will be true. That all things will be made new. There'll be no more tears, sorrow, pain, death, or any of that stuff. And we can experience relationship with God forever. And, and the, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and we see this picture of how God created us, what we were created for was that intimate relationship with him. We were created to be with God. God with us is not a theme just for Christmas. It's the desire of every human heart. And so when we one day get back to that eternal state, we will find the fulfillment we've always been longing for. Okay, so St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, says that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Okay, all that restlessness, all that angst, all the, those unmet desires that we feel come because we are not properly resting in Jesus. And once we rest in him, once we put our trust in him, life is still going to be challenging because we're not at Revelation 21 yet, but the challenge will come under the light of knowing that you are with Jesus. God is with you, and if God is with you, then he is for you. God loves you, and he died, enough, he died on the cross for your sins to demonstrate that and to restore the relationship. Again, at Christmas, a lot of times we get caught up in the baby Jesus, right? But, but he didn't come as a baby just to be a child. He came to be an innocent human being 
who would live a perfect life and then one day die on the cross in our place, taking our sin upon himself. And, and again, that promise of our sins being forgiven, this isn't just a blanket thing for all humanity. This is a, a specific directed promise to all who have put their faith in him, who have trusted in him. And, and the, the, we see a picture of that in Matthew 11. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, so, so let's not leave this idea of God with us as some ethereal concept out there that, 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 that makes for good Christmas songs, but nothing more than that. The reason God with us is so important is because that's the only place our souls will find that rest. If God made us for relationship with him, our souls will be restless until they rest in Jesus. And that's the beauty of the Christmas season. That's the beauty of, of every moment is that God is giving us this opportunity to say, if you believe in his name, if you put your trust in him, you have been reborn as a child of God. The reason we can rest in him is because you don't have to work for any relationship to be with him. There's nothing you have to do to earn God's love. You just rest in his presence and you say, I trust that your death on the cross for my sins is what paid the penalty that I deserve to pay. That beauty of the gospel is not a burden for us to carry. That's the liberating truth that our souls need. When we run around scrambling, trying to create the magic of Christmas, that is exhausting and it's tiring. But when you give yourself over to Jesus and you rest in him, that's the liberation that our souls have been longing for. And so what we're going to do now is we have a few more songs. We're going to, in a little bit, we're going to sing Silent Night with our candles. But during these songs, I'm inviting you or I'm begging with you to not just view this as a nice, nice little Christmas thing that you're doing to check your, your box. You say, all right, I got my Christmas shopping done. I did the church thing. Now I'm ready to go on to the next thing. There is no next thing beyond this. This is what you were created for. This is what the purpose of your whole life is, is to find your rest in Jesus. So as we sing these songs, meditate on the words, think about the truth that God with us is not just the line from a song or a verse in an ancient book. It's the truth that our hearts are longing to experience. Would you stand with me as I pray? And then we will sing the praises of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that you are Emmanuel that you sent your son Jesus to be with us and that because he is with us, we know that he will be with us until the end of time. God, in the, in the, in the meantime, as we're awaiting the arrival of your son, the, the second advent when he comes again, I pray that our hope would rest in you. I pray that we would eagerly long for that second coming where you come not as a, a baby in a manger, but a returning and conquering king on a white horse. And in the meantime, God, help us to trust you more and more with each day. Help us to love you more and more with every aspect of our being and help us to point others to the love of you that they can experience the freedom that comes from, from not striving anymore but resting in the beauty of your son's grace. And it's in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, we pray. Amen. One of my favorite parts about this part of the service is the fact that how tangible light is. Like you can feel the heat. You can and see what it, what it does to the candle as it burns. And I think sometimes we think of this God with us concept as just a concept. When, when the beauty of incarnation is that God took on flesh, he became tangible. He became real. He was, he was really born in a manger. He, he really cried. He really did all the things that human babies do. 
because he came to be with us. He came to be just like us so that when he died in our place, we could be just like him. We could become holy and perfect just like he is. And that's the beauty of, of what Christmas symbolizes. And so, so as, you, as you look at your candle before we blow it out, just think about the fact that, that Jesus is described as the light of the world. He, he came to be this, this tangible example of, of God with us. But also the thing about, about light is that when the lights are on, you know you're not alone. When, it, when it, you're in darkness, you don't know if anyone's next to you or not. And the beauty of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is he's the light of the world. We can see that we are not alone. Part of that is, is most importantly, that's God with us himself. His spirit is with us today. But it's also the fact that all these other lights in the room represent the other people who God has come to be with as well. God is, is with us communally, corporately. We are the people of God who get to experience that. And, and here's the, the last illustration from fire is how it spreads. How, how the, the Christ candle that Karen lit a little bit ago is what was used to light every single light in this room. And, and in the same way, the gospel that began in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago has gone forward to almost every single corner of the earth. And that, that beauty of that truth means that it's not something that's just a, a white Western European concept. It wasn't that to begin with, and it won't be that in the end. It, it's every tribe, every nation, every people coming to the new Jerusalem and worshiping Jesus. So, so, so even though we're going to blow our candles out a little bit, the, the metaphor is there that, that we need to be the one to take the light to the nations. That, that at the end of time, we will experience God dwelling with us. But in the meantime, he has called us to go show his love and to share his light with the rest of the world. And I think the best way we can do that as Christians is by being filled with joy. So th this is the, the end of the service, except for one more song. I'm, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to blow our candles out, and then we're going to sing joy to the world. And we need to really go for this thing, right? There's none of this passive, not really singing thing. Belt it with the top of your lungs, because this message that Jesus has come is worth sharing. And when we go from this place and we share it in joy, that joy is contagious, and people are drawn in to the relationship with him. So let, let's pray, and then we'll do the song, and then we can all go to our Christmas Eve dinner. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fact that, that you are working in each person's life here. I thank you that, uh, that it's not just some religious ceremony we're coming to tonight, but we are coming to be reminded that you are with us. You have been with us. You are with us presently, and you will be with us forever. I pray that that would embolden our faith, that as, as we leave here, we would take your light to the nations, and we would also take your light to our neighbors. And God, now receive our praise and thanksgiving with the joy on our hearts that is fitting due to the fact that you came to be Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.